If you were here last week, Mark, uh, the site pastor here at Wakefield, started out a new series called How to Be Rich. You know, we try to think about uh, ways to talk about things that are a little touchy to talk about because sometimes people can get all funny when you start talking about money in church. It's like, hey, we got to keep those things separate. I got this life and I got that life, so don't we bring money to church? So if you're here for the first time, you're like, great, that confirms everything I ever thought. Come to church and they got a pile of money on the stage, so obviously that's what he's going to be talking about. It is. You're right. That is what we're going to talk about. But as we were thinking about, how can we talk about money? Because right now, I know you're thinking about it. You just turn on the news over the last month, and we're thinking about our finances, our money. And, and we started thinking, how can we talk about this on Sunday morning? And we searched around, looked around. We found this uh, series uh, called How to Be Rich by another pastor named Andy Stanley. And we just kind of used that as a resource guide. And I just want to credit him uh, with that and with the, the title for this and and some of the points that we use uh, throughout this series. But last week, if you were here, you found out, hopefully, that you are rich. Did anybody go home last week going, woohoo, we're rich? Come on, did you? Anybody? Did you go in and tell your kids, honey, did you know that we're rich? And the kids are like, well, where's all the stuff if we're rich? Well, if you are in a category where you make $27,000, you are in the top Four percent of the world. Four percent. You're the, of all the people in the world. You are in the top four percent. And go even further than that. If you make seventy four thousand dollars a year, you're in the top one percent of the income of the world. One percent. So hopefully, some of you went home last week feeling like, you know, I am rich. Unbelievable. But here's the hard thing about rich. Rich is a moving target. What you think it is at one time changes throughout life as you get a little bit more of this stuff and things start to change and you get more obligations and then rich means something completely different. In a recent survey that Mark shared with you last week, people who made $35,000 were asked, what is rich? What income level would you be at if you were to say, I'm rich, I've got all that I need, and then some, and, and life is just good? And the people who made thirty five grand said, if I had $70,000 a year, I would be rich. So then they went to the next group. They went to people who made $70,000 a year. And they said, what's rich? What's enough money? What's more money than you can imagine? What could you live on and, and have to buy all the stuff you want? And they said... $140,000 a year, and I'm rich. See, rich is a moving target. And if that's what you chase, you'll never, ever get there. We spend time and energy trying to get something that we already have instead of learning how to be. And that's what this series is about, not how to get rich. There's a lot of pastors, teachers, just turn on the TV. They'll tell you how, to, how they think you should get rich. This is about how to be rich with what we already have. Because if you have more than you need, you're rich. You know, the Bible talks a lot about money. In the New Testament, you read these parables that Jesus told. These little stories that reveal the heart of God to people. Two-thirds of those parables had to deal with money and possessions. And there's over 2,500 verses in here from start to finish that deal with Money and possessions. And not only does it address money, it addresses rich people. 
So we thought, well, let's talk to people and convince everyone that we are rich. If you're top 4% of the world, you're rich. And many of us are way above that top 4%. See, when you start to read the Bible, if you don't think you're rich, and you come to a part in the Bible when it talks about rich people, what do you think? Well, it's not about me. That has nothing to do with me. I can just skip that, cut that part out. It really doesn't matter. But if we understand that we're rich, that God's already blessed us so much because of the country we live in and the opportunities that we have, we're rich. And then we look at the Bible through completely new eyes. See, we're trying to get you to think about your money because money has a tendency to lead us off in directions we really don't want to go. Either where we're spending our whole lives chasing after it, or we're spending our whole lives trying to get out of debt because we wanted stuff and we got into tons of debt and it begins to get a hold of our hearts and we don't live the free life that God has provided for each of us. I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine you're asked to be a public speaker today. Anybody start shaking in their boots when, you know, if I came around and said, okay, you're going to get up and you're going to talk to some people today. That scare anybody half to death? All right, well, you only have to talk to the person next to you. Here's what I want you to do. Talk to the person next to you. Imagine that you're, you're asked today to address a group of rich people. And you can ask them anything. You can say anything. Right now, this is like sharing time in church. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, what would you say to a group of rich people if you were given the opportunity to talk to them, say, or ask anything? So take about 30 seconds. Even those of you at Six Forks watching this on the screen, you guys take a minute and, and turn to your a person sitting by you and tell them, what you would say to rich people. Go. All right, so what would you say? Tell me. Let me hear. Ask them if they're happy. Yeah, how do you get your money? I'd really like to know that. What else? What? Did you steal it? Well, that's a good question. What else? Oh, that's good. You got one more day to live. What would you do with all that money? See, the Bible has a lot to say to rich people. There's some Bibles coming up and down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, please raise your hand. They're going up and down the aisles right now at Six Forks. You guys raise your hand and the ushers will give you one. Please take it. If you don't have one, it's yours to keep. We believe the words in there will lead you to acknowledge what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So in the Bible, it talks about rich people. God has some instruction for rich people. And that little exercise I had you do, just imagining you were talking to a group of rich people. Well, the Apostle Paul, that you, you heard about him a few weeks ago, he's the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He's a really sharp guy. He was a rich guy. And he's telling one of his students named Timothy, who he wrote a couple letters to. They're in the New Testament, First and Second Timothy. He's telling him, you need to address rich people. You need to talk to some rich people, and here's what you need to say. So he's getting ready to do what I just asked you to do. And he said, let's get first things first. First Timothy, chapter 6, verse 17. This is what Paul tells Timothy to tell rich people. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Those people who are rich sometimes can get arrogant. Remember, all of us are rich. And he's saying sometimes rich people can begin to have pride. Sometimes, maybe he's looking at these people and saying, Timothy, you got to talk to them because, because some of them have two camels. Some of them have a stall for each camel. And the camel's got plenty of food. 
and the family's got plenty of food. And you need to tell them to stop feeling like they're better, with, better than people who don't even have a camel. Or don't even have a stall. Their poor camel's got to sit out and get frost on it in the morning and have dew on it when they come out to go to work. They've got a stall for their camel. You tell those people, don't be arrogant. Don't feel like you're better. Mark talked to you last week about if you've, you know, some of us are so rich, we've got houses for our cars, don't we? Some of us have double houses for our cars and we pull them in and we don't have to deal with the dew and the frost in the morning or the really cold car because we've got a house for a car. Most of the people in the world would look at us and say, wow, you can pull that. They have a car and then they can pull it in its own little room and has this big door for it. So Paul is telling Timothy, you need to warn those people who are rich not to be arrogant. Here's the deal with arrogance. You never see it in the mirror. Arrogance is something that's hard to look in the mirror and say, oh, that's me. I'm arrogant. Look at that. Look at that. I'm arrogant. I'm prideful. Now, it's easy to see it in other people, by the way, isn't it? Isn't it kind of easy when you see somebody to, to pick, out, pick out who's arrogant and who's not? But it's really hard to see in the mirror because the more of this stuff you get, the more of this you stack up in your life, the more you start to rely on this and say, I've got a lot of this. Now, you wouldn't say this, but the tendency is to feel better than people who have less. To feel like, gosh, look what they drive. Look what they live in. Look what they have to wear. And then we start to feel like we're smarter. And because somehow we've gotten a stack of this, of money in our life, we feel like, well, I must be smarter. This makes me smarter. Your IQ and your income do not correlate. They don't go up at the same time. If, if rich people, really, really rich people were smarter, then why are 80% of the BMWs in the world leased? Think about that. Well, how smart is that? Pay for something for three years and have to give it back. That makes absolutely no sense. So having more of this doesn't make you smarter. And Paul is saying, be careful because you'll think it does. And then you'll be arrogant. You'll be prideful. You know, some of you today, some, some of us, we, we make more money than our parents did. Not by show of hands, but just think, do you, are you better off financially than your parents were? For many and probably most of us in my generation, we do. We do better than our parents did. And think about somebody who makes a lot less money than you do, who's got a lot less of this stacked up in the bank or under their mattress, wherever, probably safe for today, but anywhere, wherever you have it, wherever you have your stuff, wherever you have your money. And think about somebody that's got a lot less. And if they heard your amount of income and you said, I make X, X is how much money I make, and also heard you were under financial stress, they would think, how in the world could you make that much money and have that much of it stacked up and still be under financial stress? They wouldn't think you're smarter. They would think, wow, that's not very smart at all. And Paul is saying, let's get first things first, Timothy. Tell people who are rich not to be arrogant. And then he goes on to say, also tell them, Not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He's saying, don't lean on this for comfort, for security. This is not a place to put your trust. Instead, lean on God who controls everything, who takes care of everything, who created all of this. Don't trust in it. You know why? This is a moving target. Rich moves. It changes 
from generation to generation or person to person what rich is. I remember. I remember when I first got out of college. I was, I, I was well, first got into graduate school. I, I lived for four years on nothing, you know, when you go to college, just barely getting by and ramen noodles and all that stuff. And then I get in graduate school and I get a part-time job and I get to be a graduate assistant. And I, I remember when I realized I made $200 a week. And I was like, yes, finally. Why would I ever need any more money than $200 a week? My rent's 150 bucks a month. Dad bought my car. It's all good. I'm got 200 a week. Life is good. Why would you ever need any more money? But you know what happens? This stuff, as we start to get a hold of it, it can buy some really cool toys. It can buy some stuff that's really fun. Dave Ramsey, uh, financial, you know, financial advisor, teacher, he says that money can buy fun, but it can't buy happiness. It can't buy security. So when I was going along with my $200 a week and then it began to grow and maybe you, you, can, you, you did the same thing and you started to grow and you started to grow. And before you know it, you begin to get security by how much of this you've got stacked away in the bank or how much of this you think you're going to make in the future. And then this is where your security comes from. Did you know this is the number one competitor for your heart? You, you might think it's something else. Jesus thought it was this. He thought this was the number one competitor. When Jesus thought, who is my major competitor for the hearts of people? This is what he said. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he says this. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So in this instruction book called 1 Timothy... He's saying, Timothy, tell these people, don't lean too much on this. Don't put all your trust and your hope in this. Now, nobody does it on purpose. You don't set out saying, I'm going to trust in money. That's my plan. What are you going to do with life? I'm trusting money. That's what I'm going to trust in for everything I get. I'm going to trust in money. Nobody plans that. But, But here's what happens. When we start to lean on this too much, when we start to think, if I've got more of this, then I'm going to be more secure. Our life gets really off track. So how do you tell? How do you tell if that's happening to you? Well, you need to look at your life. Here, here's, here are some things that happen. When I start to lean too much on this, first thing that happens, I never have enough. No matter how much I get, I never have enough. I, I can stack the deck. I can get more and more and more, but I never have enough. So then you have, a, have the question, well, how much do I need? Well, more than I have, for sure. So whatever I have now is not enough because I need more. And if I could just get more, if I could just get, if I could just get that, that bigger stack, if I could just somehow get this stacked up really high and get enough of it, if I could just somehow get this big stack, then I would feel secure. And then life would be great. And then I could buy some of the things I want. I could save some of it. And, and, and then I would feel secure. Then my security would all be here. Then I could go back over here and focus on God. But, but I'm going to get enough of this so I feel secure. And Paul is saying, it's futile. Don't do it. Because your security cannot be based in this. He said, don't trust in it. It's okay to have it. We're not talking about not having money. We're talking about where your focus is. And if you've got a big stack, yay for you. Come talk to me. I mean, got that huge stack. God has blessed you. Don't feel guilty about it. 
because God's blessed you with a bunch of money, that's okay. God, God's just giving us some warnings about when we get our stack and it continues to grow and grow and grow, he's warning us, don't be arrogant and don't trust in it. Even though it's fun, you can enjoy it. Don't trust in this stuff. People who trust in this never have enough. They always think I need just a little bit more in order to be happy. In Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10, it says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. It's like a hamster running on a wheel. You never get there. And the stack just gets higher and higher and higher. And you're still thinking, ah, oh, just one more, just one more. That verse doesn't say whoever has money. It says whoever loves money. There's a big difference. So when you lean here, you put in your trust in the wrong place. Proverbs 18 says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. So as we begin to build more and more and more of this and get more of it, we start to think, wow, I've done, I've done pretty good. I've got a big old stack of money. My pile is really big. Now, some of you have this pile, and some of you got like a big old honking huge pile. But no matter where you are, you can put your trust in that. And he's saying, don't do it. And people think so often, if I can just get this high enough and get enough, then life's going to be okay, and there will be a day that I don't have to worry. And I can say, oh, I've got my stack of money. Life is good. Oh, thank you, money. I've got it. Life is good. I feel secure. Everything's wonderful. I'm just leaning on this for everything. And then the Dow drops 700 points. (laughs) Then what happens? Because if that's where your security is, because that really happened, by the way, if you haven't been watching the news, if that's where your security is and it falls, where are you going to go? But if your security is in God, and you've enjoyed this, and you've saved it, and you've used it wisely, and you haven't felt guilty because you have a lot of it, but your, your trust is in God instead of that, then it's like, well, that's too bad. I wish that hadn't happened, but that's not where my trust is. I'm still me. I'm still whole. I'm still full because my security is in something greater than money. You don't have any control over it. Think about it. Did anybody in here cause the Dow to drop all those points? Anybody? Was it your fault? Did you do it? Of course not. And we can debate all day over whose fault it was, but it happened. It was nobody's fault in here. So, but it still happened. So you're trusting in something you have no control over. Zero. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Trust in something you have, can, trust in something you can depend on. Trust in something and the person who does control everything. And he's trying to say, you people who are rich, be smart too. Don't put your trust in that. When I start to lean on money, I might have money in the bank, but no peace in my heart. Proverbs 15 says, better a little with fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. See, if I'm trusting in money, and if I'm trusting in it so much, and then I find out I've got this big, huge stack of money, and then... I find out there's no God, I would say, well, that's too bad. <laughs> you know, sorry, pastor, churches, you're out of business. There's no God. I still got my money. Well, that's not going to happen. 
Can, ima- can you just imagine if you're trusting in God and you find out there's no God, the anxiety that could create in your heart? See, trust in something that has control over everything else. This comes and goes. God stays the same. And Paul is trying to say, put your trust in the right place. If money could buy peace and happiness, then the people with the biggest stacks would be the happiest people on earth, right? But you know that's not the case. Just ask somebody who's got a huge stack and their health is in the toilet. Ask somebody who, who, who has a huge stack and the relationships are falling apart. They'll tell you that happiness, because they know that's not where happiness comes from. Another thing that when I start to lean on this stuff, and I start to think this is where it's at, and this is what life's all about, I find it increasingly difficult to give big. I don't know why that is. This is a fact. Higher percentage givers have smaller stacks of money. And you would think it would be the other way around. Now, I'm not just, I'm not just saying this. We already took the offering up, okay? I'm not trying to, that's why I made sure we did it before the message. I'm not trying to make that bigger, but think about it. Why is it when we get more and more and more of this, the percentage of offering goes down? A few years back, I used to take college students on mission trips. And several years in a row, we went to the Navajo Indian Reservation way back in in the desert of Arizona to help build a children's home for abused and neglected Navajo children. And it cost about $20,000, $25,000 every year when I would take these students on spring break to work in this home. And we would do several months of fundraisers, and people would give money, and, and, so, and then they would pitch in uh, you know, a few hundred dollars of their own money. And one time this guy came up, and he said, I want to help go on that trip. Well, he called me first. I want to help, help the kids go on that trip. And I'm like, yes, because him, I knew him. And, and he, I'm walking off camera, that's terrible. And then he had, if you're watching this on film, I'm running off the stage, now I'm running back on. Okay. And then he had this huge stack of money. And I thought, well, he's just going to pay it because he could write the $20,000 check and not blink. I mean, it'd be like me writing a $100 check. You know, he would just never miss it. It's, it's, life's not changed, Twenty grand, send him on. And he comes up and he hands me a check and it's $500. And in my mind, I'm going, come on. You, I wouldn't say that to him. But I'm like, come on, you can do better than that. Then this lady, 75 years old, fixed income, would come up to me every single month when we were raising money. And she would say, I want to help the college students go on this trip. There's 20 bucks. It was a sacrifice. $20 to her monthly income was more of a percentage than 20,000 of the other person. And she never missed a month. So why is it when our stack grows, our, our percentage of giving, our generosity goes down? I think it's because I think it's because as our stack grows we start to trust in this more and we say I've got my money it feels great but gosh I've got so much what if something happens again what if the what if the stock market drops what if what if something really bad in the economy just really I mean really goes bad and I I can't give that much away I just can't Look where the trust starts to get as the stack continues to grow I think people who have a big stack remember what it's like to have a little stack and they're so afraid of being back there and and thinking what that's like they think i can't write a big check i gotta hold on to this because i something might happen something might let me ask you this 
who is in ultimate control? Who's in control? God. That's right. God is ultimately in control. So why would you put your trust in this, which can go away with a bad day on the stock market, instead of putting your trust in God? See how much easier it is to be generous when you realize where the stuff comes from to begin with and how quick it could go away? My trust is in God. I see a need. I've got a big stack. I'm going to share. I'm going to give. I'm going to make sure I make a difference. Instead of trusting in this, I'm going to make a difference with it. Now, I'm not talking about people with lots of money just to make you feel, don't feel bad. That's a blessing to be in a place where you can build a big stack. But don't let your percentage go down as your stack goes up. And why is it that it's easier to lean on God when we've got a small stack than when we've got one that we think can prop us up? Why is that? If you were to go out of church today and a kid would drive up in a, a brand new Hummer, the H2, the one that's like $75,000, and he's got the big 21-inch spinners, and you hear something going boom, 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 you know, and he's got the radio blasting, and a 16-year-old kid pulls out and boop, boop, hits the remote. Would you think, man, that's a smart 16-year-old kid. He must have an awesome job. He must have figured out how to make a lot of money at a young age. No, what would you think? Your dad bought that. Stop acting like a big shot. Your dad gave you the money and he bought it. You had nothing to do with it. It was a gift. Listen to what the Bible says about your wealth. Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. This series is not against finding too much hope in this and instead doing what Paul says. Tell them to lean on God. Tell them to trust in him. He's the one that gave him all the ability to produce wealth. So those of us that enjoy that top 4% of the world's wealth, truth be told, probably most of us enjoy the top 1% of the world's wealth. I want you to repeat after me. Those of you at Six Forks do the same thing. We're going to end with this. God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. But I will not trust in riches, but in Him who richly provides. One more time. But I will not trust in riches, but in Him who richly provides. Live that this week. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these verses that speak to us. And thank you for allowing us to be rich. God, help us be good, rich people. Thank you for giving us more than we need in abundance compared to the rest of the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.